Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 349 on Tuesday, the 25th of August, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where many have been confused about self-driving, we'll be talking about how much it takes to make German prosecutors go away. We'll be actively discussing local transport issues, and we may be able to help you find that special someone, but there are some caveats. However, first, we go into our ever-present story, and that is Dieselgate. And this is the news that prosecutors in Stuttgart have dropped the market manipulation probe against against Hans-Dieter Poach and Matthias Müller, who was, Matthias was the former chief executive of Volkswagen, while Poach is the current chairman of Volkswagen. We'll have to state this very clear now. The money that's been paid in by no means admits liability or guilt. This is just something that can happen in Germany, that you can make things go away by paying a sum of money to prosecutors. And this was paid by Porsche Automobile Holding SE, the one that owns the 53.3% voting stake in Volkswagen. That's small fry compared to some of the other problems uh, that Volkswagen uh, has had recently. So I can see why they go, right, do we defend? Look, let's just pay some money. It'll go away. It's not even worth it in, in lawyers' fees. Yeah, it's clear that the strategy from Volkswagen now is pay for this all to go away as quickly as possible. We have to move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand completely why. Speaking of things almost potentially maybe going away, (laughs) uh, charging and clean air zones in some towns and cities around the UK may well not be happening and not be happening in the and or not be happening in the way that they've been talked about for the last, oh, I don't know, a year or so. Mm. Bristol, of course, was the one that was one of the most contentious with its uh, planned diesel-free zone because it was confusing and awkward and really about as clear as and daft. Yeah. Uh, So they're saying basically the amount of pollution that's been going on. They were told that they had to do something about pollution by the government, according to the Bristol Live website, which is actually at bristolpost.co.uk. So that's not confusing either. They were told that they they had to put something in place to curb the amount of pollution in the centre of Bristol, so they chose to they they chose to do that. It was quite a large area. What they're proposing now is a much smaller area in the very centre of Bristol to have private diesel vehicles banned, but a much larger area where non-compliant commercial vehicles would be charged to enter instead. There's still muttering. This is still looking like it could change. This must be kind of fortunate, frankly, to the council there, because the initial proposals were so... Well, they weren't really thought through. I was going to say they are badly thought through. They really weren't thought through. Well, the initial diesel ban, the government raised concerns, so they backtracked from that to do that in a smaller area and then charge across the larger clean air zone mm. for older vehicles. But the interesting thing for me in this is the change in language because we were really concerned in the way that they were stating things in Bristol, apart from the idea seemed a bit, I'm being polite here a bit, it was hadn't been thought through properly, shall we say, or didn't appear to be. But they're saying that now, because of lockdown, air quality's improved. So therefore, these clean air zone proposals don't meet the criteria to get funding from government. And we'll come on to more about that in the second city that's mentioned. 
However, they, the uh, Mr. Reese, who's from Bristol Council, talks about that, and I'm going to use a quote here from him. He says, "If we can maintain the best of those changes in those work patterns and lifestyles." Now that is a much more encouraging statement than what has come from a lot of other councils previously to do with this. It's they've suddenly realised, hang on, if people don't have to travel, we don't have as much of a problem with emissions rather than leap immediately to the charging. It's what we have banged on about for what must nearly be five years <laughs> if you're going to do a charging it system. Is, yeah, why are you not there, encouraging yeah. people not to travel at all? So I am more hopeful that... <laughs> some more thought will be given to these systems and processes. I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to be optimistic. I know you are. I know. I don't need freaking me out. Yes. Yes, I, I appreciate that. Uh, the other one that's been reviewed is the Clean Air Zone in Leeds. It was originally due to start in January. It was delayed in March. They've already paid £6 million for a camera system to be able to charge people, but they're not really, they, they don't really know what's happening now. Yeah, I mean, their one really is, funding is our most urgent priority because they're out of pocket to mm. the tune of six million quid already on the proviso yeah. they were going to get this cash. Uh, and this is a BBC News article this time, so we possibly don't mm. have that they are also saying, and I, I'm, I'm sitting with fingers crossed at this point, they are also saying changes in lifestyle and work practices, work patterns mean that perhaps we can do this another way. But that's that's the hope. But talking of councils and implementing ideas that perhaps have not been fully thought through, and it's the news in Autocar that uh, the government-backed street closures in towns and cities that came in as a result of the £250 million worth of green road scheme, because we're going to do active travel and all the rest of it, especially now that there was... Uh, the, covid just to clear it up a lot of this seems to be uh putting out concrete blocks around the place that that's what this seems to mean yes so what what councils ended up doing uh was say there was a dual carriageway or a two-lane road they would close one lane stick some bollards up and say cyclists are on one side cars are on the other funnily enough now that lockdown has been relaxed that's caused a lot of congestion who knew if you reduced the capacity that <laughs> there would be a problem? <laughs> because people have actually just jumped back in their car for whatever reason, whether that's because they, they can't cycle or walk to the destination they're going to or whether they don't feel they can or they've just not thought about it at all, even though... Or they can't get hold of a bicycle. Yeah. When this was announced, there was a big thing from Grant Chap saying, you have to start thinking now... Can you do your normal journeys a different way? And how many people have thought about that? I'm not sure many have. No, I'm, I'm not sure as many. Especially not now it's been relaxed. I, I don't think people put much thought into that kind of thing. They just want normal. Yeah. Normal. Doing things the way they've done it for as long as they can remember. In my grim northern town, the council did actually section off a small portion of the one-way system. Was it for ferrets only or something? No, you weren't banned unless you had a flat cap and oh all right. and okay, a greyhound yeah. on a string it wasn't just for that no, no. Right. <laughs> it was to encourage people to cycle but they did a 150 meter length of the one-way system that was it and then they siphoned off a road one road leading on to that one-way system <laughs> and that was it and that just made those two pinch points were dreadful <laughs> if you had to drive it in, in through them 
they didn't make it safer for cyclists because they then had to rejoin the normal one-way system. Mm-hmm. You you gave out about that to me, not on the podcast, but to me whenever all of that stuff was, was announced. Just quickly, it's not in our stories. I see that there's more scooter trials have been announced, by the way, uh, not just Milton Keynes and stuff, but, but Northampton and Kettering as well. So, um, so yes. Mm. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> They've only got little wheels. I don't know if they'll be able to climb their way out of the potholes again. So we'll see how yes. we'll see how that goes. I'm I am pretty skeptical about those as two towns in which you could, uh, in, in which this th- they will be a good idea and a and a success. I, I actually think Corby would have been better because we've actually got a bit more infrastructure being a new town. Yeah, but hey, that's just a different story. Positivity again. Uh, the government has outlined uh, how it's going to invest £27.4 billion in strategic roads. I love things that start with the word strategic. which gives me a good old chuckle. That's split down in in a couple of ways. So this was first outlined in March. This is not a whole brand new £27.4 billion. It is a detailing of money what has already been kind of announced. Yeah. The largest chunk is for motorways and A-roads. And that includes things like upgrading the whole of the A66 to be dual carriageway. We, we must know about that because Grant Shapps went a week complaining no one was asking him about the dual carriageway didn't he that is the that is the northern part of the country on the a66 so that's from scotch corner across to penrith yeah that's the one yeah so it's one of the flagship schemes the other flagship scheme is a new road tunnel under the thames between essex and kent so you can get between two places you really don't want to be more quickly (laughs) it's a curious one that personally i would have thought that sorting out the stretch of a two between sort of Maidstoney Way and the existing Dartford River crossing would have possibly be easier, but I, I guess it's so that there's a whole new road that can be an underground truck park in Kent. Probably, yeah. Another one that I'm a bit stumped at is the this infamous tunnel that's going to go under Stonehenge, because I've not heard anybody really in favour of it. I've heard lots of reasons why it shouldn't be done for, you know, historical reasons to preserve one of our landmarks. Uh, because southern people who take their holidays in their holidays in Cornwall care about it, Andrew. But the other option is to bypass it rather than dig up under it. But I anyway, honestly, I have no idea whatsoever. I just hear Stonehenge whenever they discuss these things and think, well, that's not actually on any route that I'm going to be taking to anywhere and and therefore ignore it. <laughs> What's the other portion then of all this money that's going to be spent? Oh, uh, there's a whole load is going to be spent. It's going to be used to resurface nearly 5,000 lane miles of road motorway. So that could be like a thousand miles of five lane wide motorway. <laughs> It's going to install 1,000 miles of safety barriers and renew 170 bridges and other structures. They've also set aside, and be ready for a quick cheer at this one, between 300 and 400 million to replace aging concrete sections on the A14, M5, M18, M20, M42, M54 and M56. A small cheer for that one, please, everyone. Yes, quite. And a billion more, yes, a small cheer and respite to our, our our backs and ears for those of us with stiffly suspended cars. A billion more on broader road improvement projects, uh, such as conserving cultural heritage, strengthening flood resistance and stuff. And yeah, 
lots of lots of things this is good this is going to keep all the big construction companies in business the ones that aren't already building hs2 uh, another part to this though is that uh, the department of transport has been being i don't know told off called out on the way that it calculates the benefits of a road road infrastructure though hasn't it yeah, so they, they've been accused of uh, exaggerating the benefits of new roads whilst downgrading the negatives in terms of carbon emission because they have put the emissions against national CO2 mar- uh, targets whilst measuring the benefits only against the local economy. So as we on this podcast have happily pointed out on other reports or studies, you've, you've got to be consistent with what you're, you're judging things against. They've either it's all national or it's all local or they're showing both, but just be consistent. You can't take like one that isn't equivalent to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency, a consistent baseline, really, when it comes to the measurements. Yeah. Uh, right off to the Lake District next, where yeah, another attempted ban ha- has been dismissed. Yes, we can we can still green lane in the Lake District. You'll be pleased to know there was a campaign by the Green Lanes Environmental Action Movement, or GLEAM. Ah, oh, sounds like it's something out of Hot Fuzz. Uh, with more than two thousand people denoted sixty four thousand pounds to help the legal action. Uh, there are more than 370,000 signatures on a petition calling for the Lake District to be protected from 4x4s and motorcycles, according to this Motoring Research article. Now, what they wanted to do was ban or the green laning that goes on. This is particularly in the Langdale and Coniston Valleys. And they were claiming that they pollute the atmosphere, they endanger ramblers and cyclists, and everything like that. But however, the uh, response from the Lake District National Park Authority, because they fought against this, actually, because they were the ones giving the permission. Now, if the National Park is fighting against a ban of something, I think you have to take it a bit seriously. There's a wee bit of background to this as well, by the way. that There are, or there have been, a couple of companies in the Lake District that do off-roading experiences oh, okay uh so they so people go out and it's sort of you know you you all drive drive a, uh, an off-road and and their vehicles are traditionally have not necessarily been the best and they have not as a company been wonderfully uh, I'm trying to tread a careful line here. Being particularly well uh, liked or respected, as a for whatever reason, I don't really know the reasons. I just happen to know that this is the case mm-hmm. uh, from friends. So yes, it's it's one of those things where there there may be a a, a very small minority and but visible minority have maybe not been showing green laning in the right and in not necessarily just a punter or two who have who have you know people who just happen to have gone up there it is uh, more corporate and more sustained use of the same of green lanes uh, in okay. that area um, so i'm sure that that oh. will have had a knock-on impact as to how and why this took place says someone who has green laned on these tracks 
Yeah, the the people who are campaigning of possibly targeting the wrong people. Yes, get, get, getting caught in getting caught in it. Sort of Joe, Joe off roader getting caught in something that's actually much bigger and more local politicky. The LDNPA had responded to the claims of polluting the atmosphere and endangering ramblers and cyclists by saying that most walkers and cyclists had driven up to the Lake District to do their activities, so they can contribute to the air pollution. As which much is if, quite a good point. As much as the 4 by 4 drivers, which is quite a fair point. And also mm. that it was actually mountain bikers and more severe weather that was contributing to the erosion on one of the contested routes rather than the motorists. So they also stated that there is no actual evidence of any accidents, incidents or injuries, despite claims to the contrary by the campaigners. Gleam are going to continue to fight on, apparently. But we'll see what happens there. Yeah, just basically, uh, as as with most things, don't be an idiot and everything will be fine. That is essentially it, yeah. Right, take us to a story I didn't really, really want to have us to have to cover, but we do have to have to cover it. <laughs> we don't have to have to cover it, but we need to mention it. This is that Porsche has opened a, internal investigations into uh, alleged hardware changes made to engines in the Panamera and 911 models between 2008 and 2013. It is alleged that changes were made once once engines were type approved and that there may possibly be illegal software and hardware changes that could indicate misconduct in this there's lots of allegedly in this auto car article from greg cable so this is at a very early stage and porsche themselves have gone to the kba which we know is germany's uh, vehicle licensing and testing organization to say we found this ourselves under uh, through mm-hmm. an investigation but that's at the same time that audi is facing allegations of possible exhaust gas manipulation and petrol engines which has been brought before Offenburg District Court. And that's to do with the two-litre four-cylinder petrol engine in the Q5. (sighs) Yeah. Again, as ever, we will keep our eyes on this, on both these stories and see if they go anywhere or if they just disappear. Yeah, this is a funny one. I think it could do do either. Yes. Uh, I'm really hoping it just disappears, though. On a personal level, I'm hoping it disappears. It, it won't. It, it can't possibly turn into Dieselgate, and and it, it's just well. If the nitrogen emissions are up to nearly twenty five percent higher, as is claimed, then I think mm. it might. Oh, sigh. But then is is it any different from many of the other ones that we've seen? Because 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 um, you know we've been through this Mercedes and BMW as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, this seems to be a thing that pops up and hopefully goes away. I, th- I think because Dieselgate was so big, the others have just sort of faded in the background as well. Yes. Yeah, well, that's true. That's very true. SUVs and CO2 targets. God, it's emissions. It's, it's, it's all emissions. And, yeah. I promise everyone the second half of this is far lighter than the first yes. half. Thank goodness. <laughs> this is actually a bit of a, a story that is running through the year, and that is all connected with the average fleet CO2 emissions for manufacturers. As you know, at the end of this year, if you've listened to us regularly, at the end of this year, the EU will fine manufacturers who don't have an average of 95 grams per kilometre across their entire range of cars that they offer. 
In 2019, the average was 121.8 grams per kilometre. They've got quite a chunk to jump. But what makes it harder for car manufacturers, and that's the point of this story, is the popularity of SUVs has caused CO2 emission levels to rise because they emit more. Because the average CO2 emission for an SUV Hmm. is 131.5 grams per kilometre. And that's risen since 2017, as well as the SUV market share has risen in that time. Of course it's risen. It's because prior to then, they were mostly diesel, and diesel emits far less carbon dioxide than than petrol does. Although arguably higher nitrous oxides and and particulates, etc., 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 historically... We've we've seen the effect of this already with the likes of the very sad news we had to, to talk about Suzuki stopping selling new Jimneys because they knew they couldn't meet it. Mitsubishi choosing to pull from pull from the whole of Europe. Yep, it's it's all the same thing, and and lots of interesting cars disappearing as a result of this. Even if they're only sell very few yep. of them. The fines, just to remind everyone, is going to be €95 Euros for every gram per kilometre of CO2 they are over the target, and that is multiplied by the number of cars they sell. Yeah. So this, they, yeah, it's, these it's fines are going to be massive if they come in, potentially. Mm-hmm. Anyway, enough emissions, except for sound emissions. That was painful. I'm sorry. That's That's too painful. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I got so so thrown by that. Yeah, there's... So this is a little bit meta (laughs) because the story we're going to link to is from Motoring Research. And Motoring Research very kindly put in a little acknowledgement of the fact that they heard about the story from a certain Andrew Clues of the Motoring Podcast. So thank you, chaps. (laughs) Yes, thank you Um, very much. (laughs) Are you going to pass on who you... You know, pass on appropriate thanks to who you found yes. it from? Yes, um, when I first found the story, I thanked at the time Pod News, who are a daily uh, podcast news curator, and they had found this themselves because their CEO, James Cridland, used to be in the UK radio industry as well as podcasting, so he really keeps an eye on this sort of stuff. So the news itself, now that we've gone through all of the thank, the appropriate thanks, is that from the 21st of December 2020, what a st- unusual date that is, uh, where any new car has a radio fitted, it must be able to receive digital audio broadcasting. So it's got to be DAB compatible. Uh, and this was hidden well away in the Road Vehicles Brackets Approval Regulations 2020, which take effect from the 1st of September. Yep. But that keeps us in line with the European Electronic Communications Code Directive. And we must remember, connected, with, tied in with all this, is the UK has said they are going to mirror EU car regulations. Yes. They've announced that this yes. week. So there won't be anything different here, which was the sensible way to do these things. Well, <laughs> And I bet manufacturers yes. were praying that that was the case. <laughs> yes, much relief, I'm sure. DAB is, is, is a funny one. There's the Tecmo YouTube channel has quite a, an interesting discussion about why DAB in the UK is a bit rubbish, why that is and what the background is to that. I, I don't know. The only reason anybody ever seems to use DAB, DAB is to listen to six music, it seems. Yeah, I, I listen to the cricket because many radios don't have long wave anymore. So here's a weird one about my own car. All the other euro uh, euro markets of uh yaris grmn 
all come with a shark fin antenna apart from the grmn and it was to do with dab in the uk in that for some reason it couldn't or wouldn't pick up dab in the uk we get a silly aerial that's like jodrell bank on the back which i've then substituted for an even shorter aerial dab's rubbish in my car but it's a weird one for some reason ours is different from everyone else's uh, and it's supposedly it's all down to dab compatibility yeah you don't really care about that, do you? Nobody really cares about that, but I thought I'd tell you all anyway. No, I, I just know that DAB in the UK is, uh, let's be polite, spotty in coverage. Partly it's because they decided to use all the bandwidth, uh, which they could have used to get really, really good, clear signal. And they've what they've done is they've jammed in as many little tiny rubbishy, highly compressed signals as possible. And that that's one of the reasons why if one little bit of your spectrum is jammed, then it jams swathes and swathes of, of stations. Genius. That's that's the core behind it. There you go. You now don't need to watch, go and watch uh, watch the TechMind video. But that, that's the reasoning Genius. behind it. That's why it's a bit rubbish here uh, in the UK. It's because of the way they chose to do it. And that many channels even just broadcast in mono instead of stereo so they can jam in even more even more signals in the space if, if they have licensing for a certain block. Anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, where it's <laughs> And it is Guilt Minute. And once again, I still haven't rewritten this, but this is the point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's uh, worth sending a small amount of your hard-earned cash in our general direction, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a patron, thank you so very much. We understand not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, then you really are wonderful. Uh, but why not accost a friend and tell them uh, just how great we are, or something, and get them to have a listen and potentially subscribe. If for some reason you don't subscribe then of course you can do so for free via a podcast player or a podcatcher uh, that'll make sure we every show comes to you without the anxiety and worry and stress that you might miss out on the next epic show <laughs> right formula e there's been a, a bit of moving and shaking already a little bit of moving and shaking that hadn't already been that hadn't already been announced in this case it is alexander sims who has left bmw at the end of the season a couple of weeks ago uh has signed to race for mahindra it wasn't even as many as a couple of weeks ago he literally announced he was leaving bmw and announced he was he was joining mahindra in the same day so yep. there we go and he uh going to join alex lynn most probably. Yes. Because Alex Lim replaced uh, Pascal uh, Verlein, uh, who left in June. Mm -hmm. oh, now we're getting all back on ourselves Is this here. more complicated than I thought it was? I thought this was an easy and story. Whilst Lin was um, just for the season-ending races, he out-qualified and out-scored uh, D'Ambrosio. So the, the hints are, the strong hints, the gossip within the paddock is that uh, D'Ambrosio has already been released by the team as well. So uh, okay. that looks like it might be quite a decent team if they can get their mechanical side of things to work well. Yes, they had a kind of rubbishy, kind of rubbishy season this year. Yeah, considering where they have been. I, I always expect them to be towards the top of the... Yeah. Uh, you know, towards the top of the tree, but uh, but not this year, not this year. So hopefully it was just a one-year off-season. Yes. 
Yes. Right, WRC, and I'm afraid more bad news, and that is that uh, Rally Germany is expected to be cancelled. And that news should have come out at some point today, but I kept searching it hadn't been officially announced. Part of the problem, well, the main problem is that uh, within the region that, that this event was going to take place is that they... Mass gatherings of over 350 people are now prohibited. So they had a large area that they were going to be holding the rally in, funnily enough, because it's a rally, but it was a circumference of about 80 kilometres, which they said there's no way we can make that secure site so people will get on if they wish to, and then that would cause the whole event to be cancelled anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, hopefully, like with all these other rallies that have been pulled out, uh, that have had to pull out that, next year everything's in a much better position where we can safely hold these rallies so there's now only going to be seven events on this season's calendar did you see there was an announcement actually earlier on i saw that the i've forgotten what the name of the race series is that's terrible the one that charlie martin races in at the nurburgring they were actually going to have they were going to have spectators but only in the only in every second seat in the grandstands uh, and no access around the track so they were going to they were going to try and do that and see how they got on but it's very limited access there's an endurance thing happening this weekend isn't there there's an endurance mm, event that's the one yeah i can't remember what the uh, actual series is called but yeah i know there's something going on so it'd be interesting to see what they get there do there um, we all do, we we obviously all want to see real racing you know we we've yeah. whilst we've enjoyed online stuff and good commentary where that's been and good racing where that's been we we do want to see real stuff as well <laughs> uh rsl by the way has commentary of of all the stuff at the uh, coming up at the nurburgring cool excellent it's, it's not tcr it's something like that yeah mental blank sorry uh lunchtime watch this week and this one is uh okay so a couple of quick warnings first of all it is it is a manufacturer video put out by the pr and publicity people of of the manufacturer uh, but all the same i think it's really really interesting it's the it's a tour and a, a bit of a sort of very short sort of three minute 20 second documentary glance at how the geely and volvo look oh i see how i ended up with this one isn't it look uh, look anyway the geely and volvo super factory i'm told there are even yes. bigger ones by by ash Sutcliffe now but it's really interesting about how this one factory builds vehicles a number of different vehicles that on related floor plans so it's the lincoln co01 yeah. the volvo xc40 and the polestar 2 but it builds evs fevs and um standard internal combustion engines all on the one line um in the one factory and and they can all be mixed in whatever order whatever order is needed uh for production so super clever factory work and a little bit of a chat uh between the sort of it's kind of funny there's there's sort of comparing the, they speak to some of this the the swedish engineers and some of the chinese engineers and you can see how it's a really interesting fusion of, of two very different cultures uh working together it's kind of cool that's what's really interesting for me, apart from how cool it is that's, that they're that's sharing. Actually even bits more of interesting than the mechanical stuff for me. Is the the how they've made it work with such differing cultures. 
uh, or mm. seemingly work. I mean, if I'm presuming, you know, obviously this is a, a it is going a to be a positive video, yeah. video that shows their best side. But even so, it, it looks like it works really well because it's been thought through, which mm-hmm. is which you'd, you'd hope, considering how many millions it must must have cost to set this up. But yeah, no, yeah. I like that one. I like that one. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Right, I'm going to take us to the list of the week, and it's from our old friend Gavin Braithwaite-Smith on Petrol Blog this time, and it's 10 of the best, a celebration of baby poo yellow. Now, uh, there's, there's a little bit of an intro to this this list uh, because um, he he doesn't quite agree with uh, Jalopnik's 2012 uh, definition of the yellow that he's discussing as baby puke yellow and the fact that it's one of the worst car colours ever. But as it's Gavin, he politely disagrees. So for anyone who's confused, if you've seen his... <laughs> I would like his, to see a debate between between Gavin and um, uh, Jason Tuchinsky or someone of, of Jalopnik actually over this particular topic. That that would be well worth watching. Yes, <laughs> but they but for anyone who's confused, what this yellow might possibly be? If you've seen pictures of the Azara, it's the Claudia Schiffer yellow. <laughs> uh, oh well, so you you've named one that's included. Can I name one of the others, yep. which I happen to know the name of? And it's it's of course the the Mark One Yaris launch color, which was flame gold. Is what it's actually called. That's that's gold. It is. It's it's an awful picture, by the way, because it is more orangey than that. Yeah, it's, it's it's actually called flame gold, and they released it on the Y twenty special edition, but not in the UK. In the UK, we only got silver or white. The rest of Europe got silver, white, or flame gold. Excellent news. I am full of useless information tonight. If anybody would like to buy Yaris bits, do please get in touch and you can i'll point you towards my ebay at the minute yes do help help him out please yeah (laughs) in so many ways uh, no it's a cracking it's a cracking list but i'm not going to mention any of the cars have a look through uh the the what uh gavin has put together is the 10 best uh, gallery so there's some interesting cars there so go on alan you know i've got a problem that you know i as i drive my special ev that comes from a very special company. I'm finding I'm not able to find a soulmate that I need that will appreciate <laughs> my, own, my own love for this car and the company and the person who who uh, who runs it. Is there a way you can help me out, Alan? <laughs> I had to look up a word for this. Why, yes. If you wish to belong to an exclusive community of like-minded Elon stands, quote unquote, and Stan, by the way, is a portmanteau of stalker and fan, it turns out. So you are a fan, but you're close to being a stalker. There you go. Uh, then you too can join teslaDating.co. That's right. It's the dating app for Tesla owners. Because you can't spell love without EV. Love. Um, but yes, yes, you can, you can, according to these screen captures flipping past on the, at, at that website, then you can share pictures. You can share what Tesla model you have. You can, um, I don't know what the heck. Oh God, have you, have you seen do. what Mia says in her 
in her the alleged the alleged Mia. Which one? Atheist dreamer, eco lover, looking for adventures and fun. FSD, so you can meet me in the back seat. Full self driving. Yes, I, I get the funny feeling, by the way, that 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 some of the people who have made these screenshots have never met members of the female sex, or at least not in a way that you know held a conversation. Not in a healthy way. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> don't even start the chat with Natalie. There is just, just like, just God, yeah. No. So you can sign mm. up for early access if this ticks boxes Float. you never knew you needed to tick, but you must prove Tesla ownership before launch of the app. It's just Which thanks so to Ed Niedermeyer for for tweeting this out, but it's just yeah, I, ridiculous. And I, I, it I made saw it me first wonder from whether it was actually April the 1st or something. But it could be. Who knows? Because 2020 time means nothing. So it could actually be April the 1st and we've all got it wrong. And you can share this information with Tesla-owning friends. So if you're a Tesla-owning friend, I don't think I've got any friends who are Tesla owners. No. Oh, no, I haven't. I've, I've got friends who used to own Teslas. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that was totally it was just so crazily off the wall i'm sorry we had to include that one despite the fact that it that is definitely one way to ensure that your your fans never never slow down in numbers shall we say (laughs) (laughs) shall we get together and make a little zz9 plural z alpha (laughs) or or whatever it's called ah right anyway let's move on yes let's let yes Uh, parish notes this week uh kind of short obviously zoom zoom is monday evening still still ongoing um which was which was kind of fun this week uh special edition came out last actually it was last saturday because we only recorded it on the friday i chatted to uh tim oldland who you may know from the youtubes and stuff about his new venture which is a site that you can use to find car meets nearby uh, around a certain day, around certain certain radius uh, and stuff, which is something that's actually remarkably difficult to do. Um, so yeah, I had a chat with Tim about Reduno.events. So it's, it's that, that is the website. It's Reduno.events. There's no .com, no .co.uk. That's what it is. It's global. If you're organizing an event, you can you can add it. Uh, if you, and it's free right at the moment. If you are just interested in finding out what car meets are going on roundabout, then you can do that as well. But Tim explains it in um, you know better words and clearer words uh, in the special edition that was out uh, on Saturday. It launched just on Monday there, so it's it's hot off the press this week. Excellent. Don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our Patreon offer uh, or any of the other ways to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if somebody is actually looking for Yaris parts, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? Ah, Twitter, definitely, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. 
We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.